Wednesday. I just could not. We, I think we did a panel for an hour and a half. And if you did not watch that, I guarantee you, if you go online, you will really enjoy that. So many people have said, man, we needed that. It helped us understand so many facts and figures, but also dealing with some of the very sen sensitive issues of ethnic diversity and all the battles that are going on in that. Um, we dealt with that. So please go back and watch that um, and share that with others. Being shared all over the country um, from that panel. But this message is to hitchhike on that. I wasn't done. <laughs> a few more things we needed to say. So um, I pray that you will be encouraged by this message today. Let's pray and then we'll look into the word of God. Father, thank you for a time together. We thank you that we wait on you, Lord, because you do things different than we do. But your ways are always right. They're perfect and just as we'll see today. You're, you're perfect in all the things you do. And so, Lord, us imperfect people needing to be saved by your perfect grace, we wait on you, Lord. And that's our submission to you and our love for you. And so, uh, Father, thank you for that great reminder. But also, Lord, thank you that we can turn to the word during these times. When the world is in turmoil, we find peace in a God of justice. We find peace in a God who loves his children. And nothing can happen to us outside of your will, Lord. Your perfectly ordained will for our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us as we listen to this and look into your word. And we would be encouraged this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Webster says a definition of history is it is a branch of knowledge dealing with the past events and continuous systematic narrative that how past events relate to particular people, countries, periods, and persons, always written in a chronological order. Well, one of the things that we didn't get to on Wednesday night was history. Uh, history is being under attack. There's many people who want to change history books and change what happened, good, bad, and ugly. They just don't want it there. And so there's an attack on history. The word history is a, it comes from the Greek, historia, uh, is the Greek word, and it means to acquire knowledge by investigation. It's the study of the past, particularly how it relates to human beings. And so in a way of introduction, I want to talk about history. And we are at a point in our history that there are those that would like to get rid of it or change it or, or make people pay for it, in some cases, in an ungodly way, Look, you heard us on Wednesday night. We certainly love and thank the Lord for the diversity that he brings to the church uh, and how he saves. And all lives matter, black lives matter. Um, as we talked on, on Wednesday, our, our Middle Eastern lives matter, uh, our Jewish lives matter, American lives. Those matter because God is a God of missions. He's drawing people from all of those things. And yet, in all of that, we want to be clear, we do not support organizations that have godless agendas. We support and love all of people that God made. He made us equal. We're, we resemble him. We are, we're made in his likeness, the Bible says. But if we don't learn from history, what is the, the old saying? We're bound to what? Repeat it. And so we've heard that. So history is a very important part of the sanctifying process of Christians. Do you understand that? Part of our sanctifying process is through the knowledge of history. There's a theological term called historical theology, and it is the study of the chronological development of theological thought. And in the case of Christianity, this studies the development of Christian theology through biblical times past to biblical times future. And what God is going to do. And so we understand ourselves. We understand the Bible. Listen to the Bible. The Bible is such a beautiful teaching. It shows us this redemptive history of God. God has a redemptive history. And we see it throughout the scriptures. Now, what better history book than we can study than the Bible? Anybody got to come up with another better history book? Um, it's the word of God. It's perfect and flawless. And it describes a perfect sovereign God, and it details with accuracy sinful man. That's our history book. That's the Bible. That's what it does for us. Helps us understand these things. And it chronologically records the history of man, his response to God, and his rejection of God. 
And that doesn't take very long, brothers and sisters. Open your Bible, get to chapter Genesis, chapter, uh, chapter 3 and 4 of Genesis, and you see how man who knows God rejects him. Adam and Eve, they want to be like God. If we eat this fruit, if we do exactly opposite of what God says, we can be like him. They bought the lie, didn't they? In next chapter, chapter 4, the sons kill each other. The Bible records this history of man, and we learn from this. It isn't long till you get to the Noadic flood. Chapter 6, verse 5 says this. Listen to this phrase in chapter 6, verse 5. Every intent of the thought of his heart, speaking about mankind, was only evil continually. Wow. That's the definition of man. Left to himself, everything in him is evil. You get to Babel in chapter 11, and there they are building this massive structure, and here's what they said, let us make a name for ourselves. Oh, we understand the name of God, but we want to be equal with him. Man is always building his own kingdom. It isn't hard to see the patriarchs and see how God opened their minds and hearts to faith, and you see God flood in faith into a man like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and yet they murder and lie and cheat and adulterous affairs and all kinds of things go on. And we realize what we're capable of. And if that's not more, if that doesn't hit home, you can look in a little broader section at the nation of Israel. You see this nation captive in Egypt and in the great exodus that we're studying on Wednesday nights. God goes in and rescues them out of slavery and before they can even get to the promised land, they defile the name of God. They reject his principles. Moses is on the mount, right, Sinai. Before he can get done, what are they doing? At the bottom of the mountain, they're bowing down to what? Golden calf. <laughs> See, leave man to his heart, he is desperately wicked. And the Bible shows greatly the position of man and the clarity of God. And you say, well, how does, what does this have to do with us? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Paul, using the examples of the nation of Israel, says this. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the age, the end of the age has come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So we study biblical history. We understand those things so that we ourselves do not fall into sin. I'm so thankful for, when I study the scriptures, I go, if I put gods before, certainly dead gods and things that the world worships, before my God, bad things happen. <laughs> bad things happen. You want to serve something other than God, it'll destroy your homes, your families, and all things. You'll, you'll end up in captivity in some way to something. The Old Testament teaches that. Well, what about the life of Christ? Well, certainly that is a historical document that we should all pay close attention to. The life of Christ. And, and remember what they did to him. This is the Son of God. This is God come down onto earth. We call it the incarnation. He steps out of heaven, dresses himself in humanity. So he's fully God, fully man, lives on this earth that he created, and they did what to him? They killed him. They killed him. And we study that life. John, at the end of his great writing in the Gospel of John, as he was inspired, verse 31, it says, but these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. We study the life of Christ. We're in Mark right now in our normal sermons. I'm taking a little hiatus this week, but because we want to know the life of Christ because that causes us to believe in Christ. And you say, well, I'm already a believer. Believe me, you need to hear the preaching of Christ. We need to hear that over and over. Our flesh is constantly warring against the Spirit. And we hear his life. But don't forget your own history. History's important. Don't forget your own history. And you say, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, you have a history. You have a history of God sovereignly opening your mind and your heart to who his son is. And it's, all, it's probably all over the spectrum in this room. There's people in here, maybe you're like me. I was saved at a very young age. And there's some who have just come to faith and salvation in Jesus Christ now. And if we look at our lives and see what God has done, it is an amazing thing. Men and women, boys and girls in this room who deserve the full weight of God's wrath because of our sins, wages of sin is death, we were, those were due. He instead gives us liberty and freedom in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. 
Paul writes this way over and over because he doesn't want us to forget this. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 5. Just listen to some of these past tense terms. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. That's a, that's a statement about you and I. We had no spiritual pulse. We were absolutely dead before we were saved. There was no love for Christ, no breathing for him, no living for him. There was nothing. Completely dead. The verse goes on. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Ooh. My former life is that I walked in the patterns of the world. Wherever the world wanted me to go, I did. You say, well, I I didn't do this and I didn't do that. Listen, friend, you were absolutely totally capable of it. You may have not done that because you had some good moral upbringing, but you had everything within you to do the worst sins man could ever come up with. That's our fallen nature. And then he goes on, he says, among them too we formerly lived. We lived in the lust of our flesh, um, indulging the desires of our flesh and our mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of them. And then that great verse, but God. (laughs) Thank you. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, came and loved us. That's our history. That's our history. I have a history with God. I once was lost. I once was dead in my sins, and and he made me alive. This goes on and on. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through 5. We who were once foolish ourselves. And it goes through this whole list of things, right? Disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy. And listen to this, speaking of racial problems that are going on in our world, hateful and hating one another. But then you come to verse five, or excuse me, verse four. But when the kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, that's Jesus Christ, he saved us. See, this is our own history. We have a history And we cannot forget history. History is there to teach us of the great things of God. One last thought here before I transition just a little bit. Our own nation has a history. And I I think this is important. Our nation has a history. It's fought for its freedom. It has a heritage of becoming a great nation, quote, under God. I think that in quotes is in jeopardy. But there's also a very clear sinfulness written in our history. And we dealt with that on, on Sunday. We have to realize we, there was a blight on us. Uh, there, was, there was a clear view of a, quote, Christian nation that didn't see all equal under God. And we struggle with that. And so we must learn from that. And as Christians, we look at that and we say we value life. We value life. We we don't care what the economic stance is uh, or, or their ethnic background. We value life. And when you're part of the church, it is, is this beautiful thing that teaches you that God has brought this diverse group together all in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I would encourage you to go listen to that panel discussion we had and how clear that was. Hayward, we just turned to Hayward and Paul who, who has adopted children and just asked them and And they shared how difficult it is at times just because of this color of their skin or the babies they raise. And yet, not here. Not here. The gospel drives that wickedness out from us and shouldn't be a part of who we are and what we do. It brings us together and binds us as one. Now, you go, okay, world's bad. We see things happening. And at times, I think we become overwhelmed, right? And we're, and we're even tempted to respond poorly, right? We, we're just inundated with um, organization after organization and network after network with doom and gloom and just the, the most tragic things. I mean, if you just listen to the TV, you're just going to go, we're dead. We're all going to die. There's no hope. And that's really true from their perspective. They really don't have hope. But there is a God of justice. There's a God of justice. Because we see things happen in our country that you know are against God. Um, A a thin layer of skin and uh, muscle separates death and life in in the womb of a mother. Outside that thin layer of skin and tissue and cells, it's a bean and it's murder. Just inside that little thin tissue and cells, it's okay, kill it. See, this is where our nation's at. 
Millions of babies. Injustice that's gone on. The world has no, no way to solve this. But the Bible does. And it turns us to a God of justice. And this morning, I want to encourage you that we have a God of justice even in this sinful world. We looked at this, and I would invite you to turn to your Bibles in Romans 12 just briefly, and then I just want to hit some thoughts here this morning to help us pull all this together. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21, is one of many passages that we would say, I hope this is us at Riverbend. I hope this is us. I hope this is our church. Listen to this as, as Pastor Brian Giaquinto read earlier, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Isn't that interesting? The word love and hypocrisy could be in the same sentence. And yet, it's, it's constantly flown. People, oh, I love you, I love you, and then they'll destroy you in the backside. That shouldn't be true in the church, and Paul has to warn them. These are all imperatives, by the way. They're commands, they're not suggestions. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Question. What's evil that we don't abhor? That, now, don't think about somebody else's house. <laughs> think about your own. Is there things that we have allowed in our life that God calls evil and we don't abhor them? We're not appalled at them. We let it in through that little shiny box or conversations. See, the Bible tells us to abhor this. If, if the church would, and we said this on Wednesday, if, if the church doesn't do this, the true church of Jesus Christ doesn't stand for truth, who will? Who will? And so we as Christians, we abhor what is evil. And notice, it isn't just say, oh, bad, bad, bad. Notice the next phrase, cling to what is good. Cling to the word of God. Cling to the glory and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Cling to godly marriage. Cling to godly families. Cling to the things that God says. We have to work at it. Remember, because your flesh going, well, I, my flesh kind of likes evil at times. I'm, I'll be honest, I won't say it out loud, Pastor, but my flesh likes evil. It's intrigued with immorality, or it's intrigued with, with wealth. It's intrigued with power. It's intrigued with somebody patting me on the back. That's why he says, you have to cling to what is good. It's so easy to think poorly. We can fall out of bed and think poorly. Are you negative in the morning? Or are you Mr. and Mrs. Sunshine? What do you like in the morning? Do your thoughts turn to a God who gave you life again? Or do your thoughts turn to, I have a hellacious day. I don't know how I'm going to get all this done. Pastors fall into that. See, do we cling to what is good? Notice it goes on. Um, for the sake of time, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Devote yourself to the love of the brethren. Look, we love our neighbors. The Bible tells us to love our neighbors, but this is a different love, isn't it? There's a unique love that the church has for it. This is family. With all of our struggles and diversities and all the things that we have, we love each other. Because Christ, what? Loved us. So we're devoted to love one another. When people walk in this, this building and they meet riverbenders, they should say, I feel loved here. I feel loved. And you give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligent, but fervor in spirit, serving the Lord. There's this, there's this outpouring that comes from this love. You, you give preference. You go, you, you, oh, here, sit here. I'll move over here. I'll, whatever I need to do, you give preference to people. You know there may be some that are concerned with their health a little more than others. You're kind and careful with them. And yet at the same time, you're, you're, you're going, I, I have over fears. I'm too fearful, God. Help me. Help me. Let me get around people. Help me not be too fearful. See, we, we gain that from one another. Notice that last phrase in verse 11, serving the Lord, who we were getting a lot of phone calls from other churches from across the country. Uh, dear friends in California, I was on a phone with a, uh, just a dear friend whose church got ended up in the paper because they sang. Because you can't sing in California. Do you know that? You can't sing. And the churches are defying that. They're, now you've crossed the line. <laughs> and there's time to do what is right. And they're being pounded. And they're asking what we're doing. And I go, well, uh, you kind of feel a little bit embarrassed. We're having VBS. <laughs> we had a basketball camp. <laughs> we had two services running. 
And they're going, go. They're, they're yelling, go for us. We're, we're locked down. We're doing our best. Run for us. If you're free, run. They're encouraging us on. And, and it's such an, an encouragement to us. Uh, because it is strong. And, and, right, you come here, you could get sick. There's no promises that you wouldn't. You go to Publix and get sick. You can drive your car. And, I, I don't know. You can, that can happen anywhere. But serve the Lord. See, what, what we're hearing now, and the statistics are coming back, and I mentioned that we mentioned this in the panel, that 40% of the American church has said, we're not coming back. But can you believe that? I can. <laughs> because for decades, we've been teaching about how great you are and how much we need you. God needs you. That's what the church has taught. The American church has, has, has pushed prosperity gospel and how God is dependent upon you for so long. He can't even save you. He has to wait till you, by your free will, somehow make some decision. That's not biblical. So what happens when the church goes through slight troubles? Because this ain't nothing yet. What's coming? 40% say, we're done. Tapping out. See, not the Bible. Not God's church. He says, keep serving. Don't lag behind. Be fervent in spirit. Keep serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Persevere in tribulation. Devote to be devoted to prayer. This morning I had to read Hezekiah's prayer because it strengthens me. Because I'm just like you. I, I get afraid at times I shouldn't be, but I go, oh Lord, please protect this place. And so I went back, I thought about Hezekiah. Remember, the uh, Syrians have 185,000 people. They've surrounded um, the, the, the Jerusalem, and they're just outside the walls, and they're getting threats and letters, and we're going to kill you and so forth. And Hezekiah looks around and goes, well, well, we're dead. We don't have much of an army. And he throws himself before God in that prayer. You can go read it, 2 Kings chapter 19. Jot it down. You should read it. And God delivers him. You know what he does? You know what he does? He sends a angel, one, and he wipes out 185,000 people that night. Uh, can God not protect us? I hope you're praying with us for VBS, that God puts a hedge around us, that he protects us and cares for us. Uh, these, this is the church. This is what the church is about, not lagging behind. Notice 13, contributing to the needs of the saints. The church is calling us to go, wait, we're, we don't know if we can stay open. Our people aren't giving. And it's happening. And, and by God's grace, you have given and you've seen value in this ministry. And, it, and it's supporting, it's still running, it's up. And, and we're tight, we're streamlining, we're doing everything we can. But God, through you, motivating you to give, you've given. You contribute to the needs of the saints. You practice hospitality. Oh my goodness, there's a phrase. I, I told, this is going to get warm in here, okay? And it ain't because the air conditioning ain't on. People don't even want people in their homes anymore. Talking to contractors, they go, man, we've had a lot of work, but now it's slowing down because they don't want us in their home. Well, is the church having people in their home? Have you opened your home, had somebody in? Well, you know, Scott, it's, they tell them not, the CDC says this, and the who says that, and, and who are they? Be careful. The Bible tells us, he doesn't say, well, if there's a pandemic, don't do any of this. It goes further, and these are truths we're going to have to wrestle with. I don't have time for all this, but bless those who persecute you. Do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. There's been plenty of that. Yesterday, we had a wedding in this building and three funerals involved in people in our church from Georgia to Tampa. Pastor Rick's dad died. Pastor Brian Sheely's nephew died. And Krista Whining's sister died. And we have people serving in all of them. I, I, I got done yesterday, left after studying, and there was a wedding here, and I was, and I was here for that. And, and I looked around, and all these people are just serving the Lord. Right there in the middle of a pandemic. Just caring for people on very special days and very sorrowful days. All ministering to them. Look at verse 16. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in your mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. See, the gospel just puts us on the same playing field, doesn't it? We don't look down our nose at people, at least we shouldn't. If we have, it is very sinful. 
we love one another because Christ loved us. And then he gets into this whole aspect of revenge. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in, your, in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, right? Because you can't control the other person. Be at peace with all men. And then the verse here, and this is where I want to launch off this morning. Never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God, for his written vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You know, what a relief to give God that. So I want to give you some thoughts. I'm, we're going to struggle to get this in, but we'll do our best. Number one, our sinful world and a God of justice. Dr. MacArthur did an intro to a different passage. I think it was in Revelation chapter 19 recently. And that got pulled out and got circulated around. A lot of us seen this. Uh, and John did a great job on talking about justice. And I jotted down some of the things he said and then added some. And I, I want to talk about our sinful world and the justice of God. Because sometimes Christians get overbearing because we want justice, don't we? We see the, grievous, the grievousness of sin, don't we? We see absolute rejection of God, and it, it wells up in you, right? Almost sinful sometimes. We have to be very careful of that. We listen to too much of talk radio or this news or that, and we're like, ah, you know, whoa, 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 whoa. We have a God of justice. He misses nothing, and he's recording everything, and he will judge it perfectly one day. So let me remind you what we're up against. John in that sermon said that he Googled how many laws were it. So I thought, well, John did it. I think I'll, I'll Google it. So I Googled it, and the, and, the, and, the, and the article said nobody knows how many laws there are. That's pretty scary. In fact, the articles went on to say this. Laws are at it, but they're never removed. In 1927, all the laws of the United States fit into one single volume. It was a large volume, but one single. By 1980s, there was 51 of those same size volumes. 23,000 pages of laws. There's 54 categories of laws. There's over 20,000 laws just on guns. And they're riding more each day. There, listen, there's 1 million police officers today. There's 331 million people in our nation according to 2020. There's 1 million police officers, 331 million people. There are over a million cases a year that come before some judicial court, whether that's a court in the middle of Nevada in a little rural town or all the way to the Supreme Court. There's 400,000 that reach our federal courts. They spend millions of dollars to try to, to try to, either fine people or even execute people to try to get these laws enforced. Currently, there's two and a half million people in prison. We've spent trillions of dollars trying to handle justice and trying to restrain sinful men. And recently, and recently, and you know this because some of you have sent me stuff, our highest court in the land has proved to be somewhat untrustworthy when it comes to simple subjects such as life, death, and marriage. And look, is it too harsh to say if you're seeking justice in this world, you're probably barking up the wrong tree. And I think a lot of this in the church, what has happened is we have failed in the pulpits and in the pew. We have allowed pulpits to teach and tickle people's ears, make them think that they're great and God needs them. And so for years of decades of compromise in our pulpits and our pews, it's now affecting the church and the church can't discern what's right and wrong. They don't know their Bibles. Now, I say church, I'm speaking universally, right? The universal church that, that claims to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the true church knows its Bible. I thought of this this week. I thought, you know, when seasons of peace and freedom, we often talk about passages like Jesus says, oh, they're going to hate you because they hated me first. Or every godly person will suffer persecution in this present age. Those verses we'll teach all the time. And then all of a sudden, here it comes. Here comes some, some difficulty. I don't think this is persecution in according to a biblical definition. But some difficulty comes along. And all of a sudden, there is struggles within the church. And 40% say, we're done. We're out. So I think the Lord's testing us. I think the Lord's testing us. And on, and on that subject, 
if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you actually believe your Bible, your comfort is found that we have a God of justice. Moses introduces God to the people in this way, Psalms 32, 4. He says, he is the rock. He's, his work is perfect. Listen to the phrase that he gives here. For all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Oh, you and I need to hear that. He's just. He has this all under control. Turn with me to Psalms 11, 111 and 112. These are Psalms, uh, I'm in my old Bible here. I'm preaching on my old Bible today. Uh, so two Psalms that I love. Um, Psalms 111, I wrote in my margin right by there. It says, I called it the poem of God. Psalms 112, I call it the poem of a godly person. And so I want to read this to you because I want to remind you there are, there's a righteous God. He's, he's in control. Um, he, he, he's a good God. He's a just God. And then there's those who believe in him. And these, these go together. Um, they're such beautiful psalms. I want to just read them and, and I hope this will encourage you. Follow me along in Psalms 111. Praise the Lord and I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart and in the company of the upright. Ooh, there's a group of people. Right? Not, not proud. They're upright because God's changed their lives. Two, great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in him. Whoo! Splendid and majesty is his work. And his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works. And given them the heritage of nations. Look at verse 7. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are true. They are upheld forever and ever. And they are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. And he has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And good, a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Chapter 112, the poem of a godly person. Praise the Lord, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth, his generations of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light arises in the darkness for, for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment. For he will never be shaken. The righteous will be, be remembered forever. He will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast and trusting in the Lord. His heart is, is upheld. He will not fear until he looks, uh, looks with satisfaction on his adversaries. He has given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His, born, his, excuse me, his horn will be exalted in honor. Oh, but the wicked will see it and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away, and desires of the wicked will perish. See, there's times, brothers and sisters, when the world is rearing its ugly teeth and throwing out its numbers and figures and telling us how bad. You have to turn to the God of justice in this sinful world. The world's passing away. You will not find Justice there. Again, Wednesday, I was speaking of a time where Hayward and a couple of other young guys came by and had been studying in Ecclesiastes. And chapter four is such a beautiful chapter because King Solomon says this. He says, then I looked, on, looked at all the acts of the oppression, right? Think about people who've been oppressed, which were done under the sun, meaning it's always been done. People have always been oppressed since the fall. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed and that they had no one to comfort them. That seems right, right? You have somebody who's oppressed. They know that they can't get out from it. Maybe they're a slave. They've been under so much stress and they have tears. But then the verse says this. And on the other side of the oppressor was power. But they had no one to comfort them. Isn't that an amazing thing? You have the oppressed full of sorrow, stuck under oppression. You have the people with power and oppression. They have no comfort. In fact, when you drop down to chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, If you see the oppression of the poor and deny justice and righteousness in the providence, do not be shocked at that sight. 
for one official watches over another official and there are higher officials over them. You want justice in this world? It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But the king of kings is coming. He's coming. And he's going to set his feet on the earth here. And the Bible says he's going to rule with an iron rod. That means he's going to set justice perfect. And he doesn't need 30,000 courts. He doesn't need supreme courts. He doesn't need justices. He will rule and reign. And he's coming. He'll set the record straight. And listen, brothers and sisters, I would remind you that the Bible says that he will bring everything before him. Revelation chapter 20, you can read it later, but there he says he'll bring the dead, he'll bring from the sea, not water, but from the humanity, he'll bring them, and he'll judge the living and the dead, he'll judge the great and the poor, he'll judge them all, and he says, I've recorded every one of their deeds. Every one of their deeds is recorded. And then the Bible says this, I think three times in that text, I will judge them according to their deeds. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You and I have to trust that in this world. We, we're good to people, we show the goodness of God, lost or saved, we're kind to people. We don't revenge, we don't throw back on them. God said, here's our job, look, here's what you're to do. Oh man, what is good, do, um, and what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, we do justice on our part. We share that role of justice with our neighbors, with our friends. We do things right. Love kindness or mercy and walk humbly with your God. And let me handle vengeance. Remember that verse here, and I'm gonna move on to my next point. But remember that verse said, leave room for the wrath of God. Leave room for the wrath of God. I think too, many, too often, unfortunately, Christians don't leave room for the wrath of God. We take it in our own hand, don't we? And nothing good comes from that. Nothing good, and particularly the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a just God, brothers and sisters, and you can handle it. One, one last verse. Paul's on Mars Hill, great Greek you know, worship center. He's there walking through their gods, and of course he sees the unknown God, and that just gives him a license to preach. And in that sermon he says this, because he, God, the unknown God to them, has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he's appointed, the one he raised from the dead. <laughs> the judge is coming. And you and I can trust that. That's a justice of God. Hold on to that. It'll help you when somebody is mean to you and does something um, terrible to you. I had uh, rarely wrong done to me recently, just not in the church. I was outside the church. Uh, and, and, and foul language and all this stuff. And I, and I finally said, God, in me, I want to kill him. <laughs> But no, no God, I need to respond right. And if that man doesn't repent, oh, those things are recorded and you will judge him. And there's such freedom in that. You can walk away from those difficult situations and say, I didn't respond, I didn't return evil for evil. I trusted myself to the one who judges righteously. Second thought, follow Christ in his doctrine of truth. Follow Christ in his doctrine of truth. Well, there's basic truths of Christianity. Basic truth of Christianity. We submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's a basic truth of Christianity. Jesus Christ is Lord, we bend the knee to him. He, we don't make him bend his knee to us, we bend the knee to him. You're right, I was wrong, you came and got me despite that. You are our Lord, you're our savior, we bend the knee to you. It's called lordship, called submission to his lordship, right? He's the master, he's the ruler, we bend our knee. That's the basics of Christianity, isn't it? From that comes adoration and worship. From that comes forgiveness. We forgive because he forgave us, right? Because God in Christ forgave us, Ephesians 4.32. So these are the basic principles of Christianity. So when Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, take up your cross and what? What do his children do? Ooh, hold on, you never said anything about a virus. Wait a minute here. You never said anything about persecution. You know there's a day coming, it's happened in so many places around the world that eventually get here, well they're gonna wanna know who worships here at Riverbend. We want your membership roles, we want names and addresses. Because they, they wanna know. And they'll, they'll do it for some reasons, and you know, but, but it's all goal, it's the one how, somehow keep the church from meeting. You know the, the liberal side of the world is just so thrilled that church isn't meeting. 
They, they, they're doing everything in their possibility, all head under, hey, we care about you. Because the church represents everything that they're, they're against, right? We're for life, they're for abortion. They're for limit population. We're for, hey, a full quiver's great. <laughs> Raise children in the admonition of the Lord. We're for all those things, and so there's difficulties there. We run up against those things. But here's who we are. Jesus Christ says, take up the cross and follow me. Not Scott, not Riverbend, not some system. Follow me, he says. And that's what we do. And so Mark 8 says he summoned this crowd, his disciples together. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow. You say, what does that mean? Well, you can't come your own way. There's one gate. It's narrow. You come through that way. You come to the Father through me. There's no other way. I'm the truth, the life, and the, and the way. You can't get any other way. I'm coming. You've got to come through me. And, and then, the, remember I said this recently? Not only is the gate narrow, guess what the road is? Narrow. And you say, well, I don't like narrow. Oh, you need narrow. <laughs> I need narrow. We don't need a broad road of destruction. We got saved off that thing, right? We need narrow. We need to know what God says. So he says, deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. Wow, God, you don't know what kind of marriage I'm in. Deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. You don't know my situation, how poor I am, or how, what do I do with this? Deny yourself and take up the cross and follow me. Do not depend on the things God has given you or the difficulties in your life in order to follow him or not. We follow him. Even in times of great distress, when, when most of the world's saying, doom and destruction, he says, no, I got a path, and we're going to go this way. The rest of the verse says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. A lot, of, a lot of, quote, Christians out there trying to save their lives right now. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. So there's a centrality of how to save your life. Jesus, I got nothing. I need you. <laughs> you you got to provide the way to the Father. i got to trust in you daily. Oh, that's a personal save. Another great principle is John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they do what? They follow me. There isn't sheep that, well, I know his voice, but, and I know what he says to do, but I'm going this way. Eventually, that sheep is disciplined, and, and if it's really a sheep and not a not a wolf or, or um, a goat, it, it says, you're right, God, and it course corrects and follows the Lord Jesus Christ because my sheep know my voice and they emphatically follow me. That's the difference, right? When he, when he separates, he separates what? Who? As you said, you said sheep, and then I said who, and you said follow. That's they go with the Lord, the rest go away into eternal punishment. That, that's the simple of it. That, see, this is the basics of Christianity. We follow the Lord. And he tells us to live in certain ways. John later wrote in 1 John 2, 14 through 17, I write to you fathers because you know who has been from the beginning. And I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. Then he says this, do not love the world nor the things in the world. It'll distort your view of everything. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Basic tendency of Christianity. We don't love the world. We're in it, but we don't love it. This is not our home. We're just passing through. We're aliens and strangers, 1 Peter chapter 2, 10 and 11. We're just passing through. This is not our home. Now, we're here. We have a message. We carry a gospel. God, God builds his church using us. Isn't that amazing that he does that? We have a purpose here. But this isn't our home. So we don't love these things. And we don't get caught up in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Is not, that's not from the Father. It's from the world. Verse 17 goes on to say, for the world is passing away. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't get hung up in something that God is going to blow up. He has us in his hands. Third thought. The clock's running. What will we give up to follow the suffering servant and his word? What will we give up to follow the suffering servant? I chose those words particularly because that's who Jesus is. He is the suffering servant of the Old Testament. He is the one that the Old Testament speaks of and looks forward to. He's the suffering servant. So, so we're not just following uh, King Jesus, though we are. He is 
king, and he will be king of kings and, and when he sets his feet on this earth and rules and reigns, but he's also the suffering servant, and that's who we follow. And I want you to understand this. We're not, we're not like the disciples going, hey, when do we get to sit on your left and right and get all the goodies that come with that? He goes, look, um, you got that wrong. I've come here to die. I did not come to be served, but to serve and offer my life as a ransom, Mark chapter 10. See, that's who we're following. And I think the basic, basic principles of Christianity is applied here now. Now, what will I give up to follow him? Why is America now not putting out very many missionaries? We went from years. Um, there was a point that 98% of all missionaries came from the United States. I don't know what it is now, but it's way down. We're taking missionaries in now. So, so what is a point where somebody says, I'm following a sovereign servant, and he wants me to go to the mission field, so I need to study and know God's word, be prepared, and I'll leave the comforts of home. I've been following a young couple that's going to Italy. <laughs> of all places, they're going to Italy. They're a young couple. He graduated from Master's Seminary. I've just been following how he handled himself, just watching how he was going to raise the support, how he spoke, how he did all those things. I think this young man is an excellent uh, young man and young pastor. And this week, he said, he said in his letter, in the midst of COVID, we loaded up everything we had, which wasn't much. There are four children, all I think under 10, and flew into the heart of the COVID world to start a ministry. And he listed all these churches, and there were videos on there that showed the churches surrounding them, laying hands, not socially distancing, laying hands on them to pray and send them out. And I thought, oh, Lord, please do that at Riverbend. Please do that at Riverbend. Raise someone up who says, God, you are worth following. I'll follow the suffering servant. I'll go with him. I was reading through Matthew 14 this week. And here's the long and the short of it. John the Baptist lost his head for the biblical view of marriage. Go study it. Go read it. He got beheaded because of his view of marriage, biblical view of marriage. I think we, we, oh, yeah, John the Baptist, you know, he got caught in that big party, and, you know, the gal wanted to hit ahead of John the Baptist, had told the daughter, go tell Herod this, and boy, it's really unfortunate. No, that story is about John the Baptist saying, here's what God says about marriage, and that's sinful what you're doing, and they cut his head off. Look, I'm just trying to say, there's a day coming where they're not going to put up with our biblical view of anything, let alone marriage. They don't like it now let alone when that gets out and gets public. But there's, see, see, I wrote in my notes here, and I have to stick to this because I can get done. See if uh, it's, it's here's what I wrote, it's dangerous when you open your Bible. You know, you and I can live pretty good lives if we keep this thing shut. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Once we open it, now we're accountable, aren't we? We go, well, the Bible says marriage is this, and and this is required of us to, to love mercy and be kind and help out and love one another and pray for one another. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? And look at go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Speaking of example of following the suffering servant, I want you to see this passage. The context of 1 Peter 2 is this. Suffering unjustly. That's the context. So you got to understand, he's telling, he's telling slaves, servants, to be submitful to their master because they're going to be the gospel presence in their master's life. Isn't that interesting? This is why liberals don't like the Bible because God's word talks to the slave in his position instead of tearing down all everybody else. It says, here, live a godly life in your situation, no matter where you're at. We would apply this to maybe employees in some way in our day and age. So that's the context. Look at verse 21, chapter 2, verse 21, 1 Peter 2, 21. For you were called for this purpose. Suffer unjustly is the context. So that's what he's calling you to. You go, wait a minute, nobody told me that at VBS. <laughs> when, I, when I walked the aisle or raised my hand and went and prayed with Mrs. Jones or whatever, they didn't say that I was signing up to be unjustly handled. Maybe we should say that a little more, right? Maybe we should say, do you know that following Christ has a cross with it? It's the greatest thing in the world because you're going to spend eternity with him. He's going to help you. The Spirit's going to come within you. We list all the great benefits of the gospel. We have to help them realize, but we're following our, our, our suffering servant. 
And he says, all those who live godly lives in this present world will be persecuted. And so this is the theme here. Notice they says, so Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Oh, wait a minute. No, I don't know. Come on. And notice how he did it. I don't have time to do all this, but look at this. He committed no sin. Well, we're out. <laughs> but it doesn't mean we don't try. It doesn't mean we ask God to help us. Lord, I'm about ready to go through suffering. It could be family. It could be whatever it may be. But say, Lord, help me not sin in this. This is difficult. It's unfair. Um, what happened to me the other day was totally unfair. I had a brother from here and his daughter, and it was just terrible what this man did. Um, uh, but it was totally unfair. And God just closed my mouth like the lions and, and just trust him and say, God, I don't want to sin in this. I remember saying, I don't want to sin in this situation. I know what my flesh wants to do, but I don't want to sin. Because Jesus, you did it, right? Nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Notice what he does. And when being reviled, oh, this is hard, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but here's the key. Guess what he did? He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Hey, you going through a hard relationship? Are you going through something that's not fair? You have to learn to entrust yourself to the one who judges righteously. That's what Jesus did. Can you imagine hanging on the cross? He's been spit, beat, mocked, everything you can imaginable. There's words in the Greek that says they did things that were so bad and rude that we don't even have good words for them in the English. But they did to Jesus. He's hanging on the cross. And what does he say to the people who just drove nails as he speaks to his father? Father, what? Forgive them. See, he's the ultimate example, and, and we are following him. And, and look, all of us need this reminder, don't we? How many of us reacted poorly this week in some case, in some way? Yeah, thank you for raising your hands. I appreciate that. Because that's what we do. But then we go back and say, Jesus, help me learn to trust in you, look at chapter, 14, chapter 3, verse 14, just down a little ways. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled. Oh, it's a good verse, isn't it? You may suffer for righteousness, but don't fear. God's keeping account. If that person doesn't come to know faith, they'll be judged for that. Let him, let vin- let him take care of vengeance. He's really, really good at it. One more verse before I go to my last thought here. Look at 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Oh, this is, I, I found myself in this text this week, just sitting down in this verse and understanding its context. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, therefore having these promises, beloved, so he's talking to the church, right? Now, now look at the terminology here in, in, <laughs> in swallow hard, right? Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What a verse. You see, progressive sanctification is that understanding of theology and practice that says, God, I am continually a work in you. You, you're continually molding me into the image. And I need to submit to you. And I want to pursue living for you in such a way like this verse says. You know, the Bible always holds a standard here, even though they know we're here. The Bible always does that. What would you want the Bible to do? Give us a subpar? <laughs> well, let's just shoot for a B. <laughs> the Bible doesn't do that, right? Because it's God's word, so it's what? Perfect. So it tells us about perfect living. Now you go, well, Scott, what's the context in this? Look up in chapter 6. Look at this. Therefore, having these promises, well, you got to say, well, what promises help me live my life and be cleansed and not be defiled by the flesh and spirit? Look what he says, verse 16, end of it, after he's been talking about that don't have, don't be in league with Satan and, and idols and stuff. He says, I will dwell with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people, end of verse 16. Verse 17, therefore, come out from their midst and be separated. You don't belong to the world. You're an alien. You're a stranger. Come out. Quit acting like you belong to them. And I will welcome you, and I will be your father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Almighty God. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Therefore, having these promises, strive for perfection through the Spirit of God. Amen. Too much left in this, but um, I wrote them in these notes before I go to the last one. 
um, which ministries would you want to label non-essential? Somebody said something. Well, we just should be doing the essential ministries. I asked them, I said, well, what is that? Jesus said, let the children come unto me. Want to stop children's ministry? Want to not do BBS, basketball camp? How about evangelism? Personal evangelism is really on the hurt right now because everybody won't get within 10 feet of somebody. I mean, what, what do we know, call is not essential? Look at the Good Samaritan. Jesus gives that great example in Luke chapter 10. Everybody, all the religious people, oop, other side of the road, other side of the road. The Samaritan, the half-breed, the one that we don't want you near us, you're dirty, we don't want anything to do with you. In fact, if I have anything to do with you, I'm unclean and I can't go to the temple, so I'm crossing on the other side of the road. But not the Good Samaritan. He runs right into this guy. And look, he, maybe he didn't have COVID, but he had some people around that tried to kill him. They might be still around. They might, he might, there might be some, some, some retaliation. He has no hesitancy, does he? And Jesus gives that great parable because that's what Christians do. We run into the most difficult situations. We go to someone who's sick. Hey, right now in the third world country, I was reading Peru being one of them and several, several throughout South America and in some of the Latin worlds, there's nobody to care for them. So they put a white flag outside their house, and that means if there's somebody could bring us food or water or medicine, we're dying here. Guess who's going to their houses? The Christians. The Black Plague of 1500s, they said they stacked the bodies like lasagna. There was that many. The only people who were going, the, the majority of the group, that all historians tell you this, it was the church that ran into that. And I read an account of, of women who would go minister to people that had the black plague, be there, walk them through death as they died, go home, and then they died by themselves because no one was there to take care of them. Over and over and over again, this is what the church has done. And so, yes, I know this is scary, particularly for Americans. And, and you've seen the meat wagons in New York, and you've seen all that stuff right on TV over and over and over and over, and so there's a fear. And it's pretty soon we go, well, is that really an essential ministry? And we elders go, yes. Jesus said, let the children come to me. And so we beg God for protection. We beg God for wisdom and how we handle things, and we're working very hard at that, but we need help. We need help. What will you give up to follow the suffering servant in his word? Last thought. Well, how do I boost, how do we boost our spiritual immune system? How do we boost our spiritual immune system? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. I just want to walk through this real briefly and we'll be done. Because you go, well, Scott, I, I, you know, this message hits home. Believe me, it hit home when I wrote it to me. I'm not, you're not the only one. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3 begins to help give us a little bit of understanding. I think sometimes we don't do things because we don't understand what God is doing. So I want you to hear this. Look at chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. <laughs> 2,000 years ago this got written closely, 1900. In the last days difficult times will come. Here's, here's how we understand in times. God said, Christ said when he left, it's really the beginning of end times. We're just farther along in those end times here. Somewhere along the Lord, line, the Lord's going to return here. So, and he says this. Basically, I'm going to set this up. Men are going to be lovers of themselves. They're going to be haters of God. They're going to seek pleasure. They're not going to reach out to anybody. They're going to close themselves off. They don't want anything to do with anybody because they're so consumed with themselves. That's the gist of this chapter. And then it gets worse. Because there are those out there that act like they're godly, verse 5. They, they say, look, we're, you know, we're here to help. We're, we're the church or we're this or that. But they deny the power of God. They, they quote all the scriptures. They say all the things. But then when it comes to push, cuts to shove, they quit. They're not involved. Religious leaders, this happens all the time. Then, they, then there's others that go in and take advantage of difficult situations. They find weak people and they, and they twist and turn the scriptures and they take advantage of them. And they're like a cancer, the Bible says, and they reject the faith and so forth. And then verse 10, here's, here's the immunization we need. Now you follow my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance. We'll stop there. Follow me. And Paul, in other areas, and we don't have time to look at this, but he says, follow me as I follow Christ. 
imitate me as I imitate Christ. So he is a leader, he's a shepherd, so he takes the sheep and says, follow me, I'm just going to the chief shepherd, you follow me, that's where I'm going. So he tells young Timothy here, you follow my teaching and my conduct. Could you tell somebody sitting next to you right now, say, will you follow my teaching and my conduct? Can you say that to somebody? Mm. Maybe, I hope you can. I hope there's a lot of people that can say that in here. If that's true, we, we will never not need volunteers here because we'll, we're following, we're just doing, we're, we're staying in the faith, the, the historicalness of the faith. We follow the next person because they're following Christ. And notice there's a purpose behind what we do, the gospel. There's a faith that's driving it. There's a patience when things are tough. There's a love that supports and holds us up there in difficult times. And we keep going because Christ accomplished it for it. Verse 11, difficult things even come. Persecution and suffering such as happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and persecution I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Will the Lord rescue you, brother and sister? Do you believe that? I said to myself as a young boy, struggling with my own faith, going through difficulties, I would say, God, I'd say I could still remember this, God, you did not save me to drown me. It was just a simple way of me thinking out my faith, that I, to put my faith in God, he did not save me to drown me. He had a plan for me. Verse 12, this is a hard one, but here it goes. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Anybody going through that? I don't think this is persecution. I think it's a gateway to persecution. Now, evil men, impostors, will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's going to get worse, right? You, however, hey, you want the inoculation here? You want the immunization here? You, whoever, continue the things that you've learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you've learned them. Are you convinced of the gospel? Are you convinced that the word of God is true? Are you convinced that God is a God of justice and you'll set the record right, amen? Are you convinced? Are you convinced? And then verse 15, he says, you know this, you were taught this from childhood. How many people in here got raised from grandma or mom or dad or somebody who taught you truth? How many of you? I mean, I, I am, I'm a product of my mom pouring the scripture into me. And this is what happened here. And so he says, look, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching. I need to be taught during this time because I'm afraid. Maybe you might say that. It's for reproof. Oh, man, I've, 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 I've taken in a worldly view for a little while. I've, I've drunk their Kool-Aid for a little bit. So I need to be reproved. I need correction. I need a course correction. I need training in righteousness because my behavior isn't always righteous so that, the son of, so that the man of God or the woman of God, the person of God may be adequate, equipped for every good deed. And then verse one and two of chapter four, here it is. Preach the word no matter what season it is. See, this is how we become strong again. And I, I know this thing has shaken us. It's been difficult, um, and, and it's hard. Um, and I, I, I told the Lord, I said, I don't doubt that I'll get sick. I, I probably will someday. Most of the people that have been sick have been through my office one way or another. We've had people in our home. We, it, it's just part of it. But if that's what you want, Lord, let's, okay. You got my days. They're, they're, I can't take one away. My life is in your hands. I, but I need you and I need me. We strengthen each other to do this, don't we? Amen? Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you that you're a God of justice and truth. We're living in a world that's far from that. Fear runs rampant and fear controls people. And once those who understand what makes people afraid, they use it to control them. But we're not controlled by that, Lord. We keep our eyes on you. We focus on the things above, not on the things of the earth, Colossians 3. We, Romans 12, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to you, Lord, and, and we renew our mind daily in the word of God. And we trust you, even though men are growing worse, as we just read. We don't fall to the deception. We know there's persecution coming. But we, we pour ourselves into the all-sufficient word of God that trains us and corrects us and even reproofs us at times, Lord. And we hang on to the word even when... We seem to be in season, and they're hunting us, because that's the only way we're to live. We're to follow 
the suffering servant, our Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us. May you bless us and give us strength. I pray for each and every one that's in this room who's hearing this uh, by recording or watching it live. Lord, strengthen your flock, Lord. Strengthen them. Cause them to lean on you in new ways today, myself included, Lord. I pray for homes and businesses. I pray for those that are directly affected by the economic crush that is coming, Lord. Please meet their needs, God. Cause them to trust you. Lord, bless them. Give them joy during suffering. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you that it's a group of people that are dedicated to the word of God. May we not pat ourselves on the back, but may we get up and be diligent and serve you, Lord. Thank you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me for a closing benediction? May God bless you and keep you and shine brightly upon you and give you the strength to live in a way that shines his glory even when it's difficult. Amen?